0: Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode. Do
1: you think it's worth trying to keep some sort of consistency so you can identify patterns?
0: I would plan my meals, my nutrition, the same way that I would plan my runs.
2: Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot. And here's your host, Jake
1: Lowe. Have you, you here, record? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all recorded. Record. Now we do the talking bit to motivate everybody. This is nice. This is a lovely show. Thank you for joining us. It's it's running with Jake, the podcast. No, come on. Let's be serious. Do you think we need to plan? Do you think we need to plan these bits of the show? Because obviously we have great guests on, don't we? Mm. That are really motivating and inspiring. I love the guest bit, and I think our audience loves the guest bit. But this bit, we, we kind of just we we just
2: we're just chatting, aren't we? Do you think we need to plan this out a bit more? Like, do we need to script it? I mean, some podcasts do that, don't they? Or do that. I don't know how the podcast work, mate. I think if we just kinda go go and then we just say whatever we're doing and whatever we're thinking about, then I think we're I think that's okay. Because I think I think I think the podcast listener is not you know, it's not like the podcast listener and the radio listener, they're different types of people, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. It's like and the podcast listener is a smart person who uh, has found some content that they want to listen to and that they connect with. So, um, so they're happy to listen to all this uh, this complete rubbish that we're talking now, obviously. But the radio listener, they just aren't bothered. They just turn it on and it's there. I see what you're doing.
1: I love the way you complimented our listeners there. We, we, we have mm. intelligent listeners. We have smarter listeners. I know where this is going, Patreon Pete. You're going to yeah. pull out all the stops when it comes to begging later
2: in the show. I know your game. Sure, but the only thing I would say, and it's something, unfortunately, you've missed off, is just say hello to everyone and say what the name of the show is. I think we need to do that at the start. Well, hello. So if you... Yeah, you know, like. Hey just, everyone! Hi, hey guys! Hey team, gang! You know that sort of thing. That's what. That's the kind of stuff you <laughs> normally do. I just think. I think if you don't say hello and you just like fall into it like you did then, I think you. I think you're disrespecting the audience. So, <laughs> obviously, on this occasion, you fell into it, and it was yeah, it was a fumble. I didn't even know we'd started. I I don't even know if you knew you'd started. But I just think at some point, like you need to say hello to people. Do it now. Do it now.
1: Just do it. Now. Just do it now. Can can you can you see me on Zoom? I'm still wearing my pajama top. There's a lot of fumbling going on today. I'm um, I'm I'm not I'm not with it. Am um, I like everybody else in the UK or everybody else in England? Certainly, are planning mm. their routines. We have a new routine this week. It's very exciting. We're allowed to do. Stuff. Don't really know quite mm. what. Try to book a table in a pub garden. Can't do that. But we can do stuff. There's stuff that we can do. In fact, we I went to the gym yesterday. Hello to our listeners, by the way. Hello to any listener that also went to the gym yesterday. I hope you had a good session. I hope Thank you enjoyed.
2: God, you finally said hello to them. Sorry. Carry on. Keep
1: going. Enjoyed That's being great. around other people. Actually, talking of saying hello i was very friendly yesterday i went overboard Mm. with it i went to the gym just a local gym here really enjoyed it it did feel a bit odd just being back in that space kind of confined space but obviously your own space being around others you have to wear the mask in kind of the not communal areas but you know the corridors in reception when you're going from the change rooms up to the gym but then you can take your mask off so it's nice to be able to see other people's faces which i know sounds a bit odd but it it, that Mm. has a real impact you can see people's expression and them smiling and whatnot So I was trying to sort of chat to people. Everybody's in their own space as well. But it's just, I got a real sense that everybody else was feeling exactly the same as me. Mm, mm. That it was real, like relief to be back in that space, doing what they used to do, doing what they enjoyed, just being around other people. And it slowly feels like things are returning to normal a little bit. It's getting it does.
2: a bit more excitement, isn't it? Do you feel that? Do you feel that, Pete? Can you feel the excitement? I do feel it. And I don't know if I feel this as, as, as excitement or, or uh, trepidation. I'll be honest with you, because I've not actually seen someone to stand there and have a conversation with who I don't who I'm not very close to for a long time and I don't yet know how I'm going to start um, communicating with people in in an environment like that uh, and it worries me and and you know perfect example right the other day I'm out running around the block around here and um, uh, this guy Smiles like, outrageously at me, and I thought, Blimey out, you're happy. It was a, another runner. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I've only been running for a year, so I have very little experience of this, but, you know, like nowadays, there's a bit of an acknowledgement where we kind of acknowledge each other as you pass each other. But this guy was, like, wild smiley, and I just thought, "Flipping out, you're friendly. You're a nice guy. You're friendly. And then I got back, and then I see on Strava that it's a, a listener to the podcast, and he, he'd spotted me through... Something that we do on the internet, uh, where there's been a picture of me at some point, and so he he's, he spotted me and he put a thing on Strava saying, "Can't believe I'm listening to the podcast." And then I ran past Patreon Pete, which is what everyone's calling me as well. Now it worries me. You see, he seems like a lovely guy, Sai. Simon. So si- it seems like a lovely guy. Um, the only the only issue I've got is at some point, if I keep doing the same route, I'm going to bump into him again, and I know I know him now, and he knows me. Which means we're going to have to stop and have a conversation. You
1: don't have to do that. You don't have to do that.
2: Don't we? No, 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 no. I'd like, do you know what? I'd like to have a conversation with Cyber. I don't know how it would go because I'm not practiced at actually looking at somebody, I'm only practiced at looking at a webcam. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going where do I look on him? Do I look at his mouth? Do I look do I look in his eyes? Do I look where's his where's the lens? Where's the lens? It is weird. <laughs> the guy what? I was speaking it's to weird. in the gym
1: yesterday. I've actually seen him running around here. He seems like a very smiley happy guy. You know the person that's just he's just he's just looks smiley everything he says. It's the
2: same aside. It, yeah. It is the same yeah. aside. And I
1: love these people because when I was chatting to him in the gym, he was saying, oh, yeah, you know, it, it's not, you know, nice to be around other people, isn't it? And he said, yeah, you know, I spend my life on Zoom. I work from home. I said, oh, yeah, me too. I spend a lot of time, you know, working from home and things like that. And he was saying exactly the same thing. And you can't, mm. not seeing people's expression, you miss so much, don't you? I don't know if you do this thing, but I find myself over the last 12 months smiling as normal at people, people I don't know, whether you're mm. kind of passing people in a supermarket or wherever you are in the street. I'm smiling. But, of course, they can't see me if I'm wearing the mask, which is ninety percent of the time. So it's completely pointless. It's a pointless expression, yeah. this smile. And I think, and then I, and then I find myself thinking. I wonder if they were smiling at me. Maybe they were smiling too. Maybe we had this connection, but neither of us knows if we were smiling at each other. I like to think that they were. I like to think the world is full of happy, smiley, mask-wearing people.
2: If if you're walking around the supermarket smiling at complete randoms, I think you're probably better off wearing a face mask. I'll be honest. Listen, I don't know about this whole start of the podcast,
1: whether it's planned, unplanned, whether we're just chatting, whether we're all out of sorts, but I don't know how to go from this chaos to our guest. I have no idea. We're chatting to Josh Schofield. He's already... And coach at PGC1 Coaching. Really nice guys doing a master's in nutrition at Loughborough University. And we're going to have a little chat about fueling. But I don't know how to get into it. How do I get into it? All
2: you do is you just stop talking. Just say fueling again, just like you did, and then we'll stop. Right? But do I need to say hello to everybody first? You've done that. You did it. Really badly, Let's but move you on, did it. Move on. Move on. Stop. Now. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast.
1: Super excited to be speaking to today's guest. It's none other than Josh Schofield, running coach at PGC1 Coaching. He's doing a master's in sport and exercise nutrition at Loughborough University. Great place to be studying all things sport, I understand. Been running for over 15 years, even broken 15 minutes for 5K. And recently, he's been made head coach at Skins Compression online running community. You're a busy guy, man. I mean, some people are bored at a tree in lockdown. You, you're spinning so many plates. Great to chat to you.
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, um, you know, lockdown for a lot of people has been probably like the worst year. But for me, I just don't feel like I've stopped. I kind of had a few weeks in March, and then since then, it's just been crazy.
1: I mean, obviously, you're super passionate about running. We, we've exchanged a few messages, uh, Josh, and we could have spoken for hours, couldn't we? Let's be honest, on the phone. You know, that's what happens when you get two passionate coaches together just going at it with regards <laughs> to running. And it's it's a really funny thing, isn't it? Because running's so simple in in many respects, but there's a lot of moving parts, as we've touched on before on the show. And it can cause a lot of confusion, particularly to kind of new runners. It can be a bit of a minefield, and I guess it takes people like yourself to kind of cut through some of that confusion and and, and help steer people and no know- something you're really passionate about is obviously nutrition with what you're studying and and fueling for endurance performance but just give me a bit of a background of your your training and your running Josh because I'm really interested you you've been running for a long time haven't you many years like over 15 years that's crazy you don't look old enough to be running that long
0: I started when I was eight years old um, my dad used to cycle with a triathlon club in York um, and they had this junior section um, and there wasn't it I was actually too young to go um, and they uh, they said oh yeah because because we know you Mike you know we can we can bring you bring your son down so yeah, I went down just on my old like rally mountain bike um absolutely loved it um and uh, yeah it's kind of started from there really my, my, my first season uh, I was like eight years old uh, I actually broke my wrist just before the start of the season so I couldn't do a few of the races but um I turned up to the first one and I won and then I managed to win the series overall, which my parents were like, oh, right, I didn't didn't think you were particularly good, but there we go. Um, And then got presented my trophy at the end of the year by Alistair Brownlee, a 16-year-old Alistair Brownlee. Wow. um, Yeah, they even took me to a race actually at Loughborough when I was, uh, because I was a terrible loser. They took me to a race at Loughborough at the end of the year in October, so I would lose, and I still won it. Um, And (laughs) I think at that point I was kind of like, okay, i quite I quite enjoy this, so yeah, I spent all of my um younger years sort of doing triathlon um running swimming cycling um and then when I was fourteen, I sort of focused more on the on the running side of things, and so yeah I've been in the sport for a, a quite a long time, considering I'm sort of only twenty three years old so that's amazing. I mean, it's,
1: I hadn't even found running when I was your age, Josh. It's crazy. And no wonder you're such a good runner starting at such a young age. But it's amazing, isn't it, how people get into the sport, how they find it. I mean, you I know you work with a, a, a mixed bag of, of athletes, don't you, in terms of level of ability and level of experience. It's really fascinating how people get into the sport. It's not always such a kind of conventional avenue, is it, for some people. It can be a bit of a, a, a change in life when they hit 30 or 40. What is it you love about coaching? You know, and that's a big question but what are you what, what really kind of excites you with coaching
0: I think for me the big thing is I just love helping people progress I love being able to have someone start at one point and then help them on their journey to, to improve themselves and to get better and really realistic there's no other sport better than sort of endurance running or athletics in order to see progression and um being part of that journey and helping someone and knowing that you've had like a little bit of a part in someone achieving something they may not have believed themselves to be able to do um you know like for me that is absolutely why i get up in the morning to, to sit on the laptop all day typing whatsapp messages telling people to get out for their runs and whatever
1: yeah i love it i know
0: you're a big <laughs> fan of the whole whatsapp messages like me and it, it's great
1: isn't it just to see people's progress and I- I often say to people as well, it, it does. It really, genuinely does not matter where you are. You know, people that have that no. kind of lack of confidence, you must deal with these, Josh. And oh, yep. I'm not a proper runner and all that sort of stuff. We just, we just need to know where you are. It's about taking you from point A to point B. It Doesn't matter what your starting point is. Doesn't matter what point A is. It just matters that we know, so we can make those little steps of progression, which is which is what you're talking about, which is awesome. Obviously, a massive part of of running well, and particularly with endurance, is is fueling and nutrition. I mean, where do we start with this subject? It's huge, right? What What are you studying at the moment? Because I know you're quite into the carbohydrate side of stuff, aren't you?
0: Yeah, so I've done sort of two thirds of my master's uh, in sport and exercise nutrition. And my final uh, semester this year is going to be centred on a research project, which is looking at differing levels of uh, carbohydrate intake and half marathon race performance um and that's kind of where my main sort of area of of research and uh i'd say kind of interest al- aligns is is specifically the fueling of endurance performance and endurance training um, and that's what the the actual name of pgc1 coaching comes from uh, it comes from the uh the chemical or biochemical pgc1 alpha which is uh Part of it, your mitochondria, so that's you know that's always been a real big interest and passion of mine. I think it's great to have you on the show as well, Josh, because of the your your varied skill
1: set. So obviously studying what you're studying now, coming to the end of that, so it's very kind of cutting edge. The information that you're uh, getting involved in at the moment, the research, but also coming at it from a, a from a practical perspective as well. And you you're a runner; you've been running years. You coach people because often that can be difficult, can't it? Reading this book, for example. And then applying it in the real world is not always so easy. So it's quite good that you can almost kind of help people make that transition, like pl- plug the gap, understand how to use that information. Did you mention half marathon there? Is that is that something that you're looking at, yes. fueling off? Yeah. Now, this is really interesting because it used to be the case, and I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on this, that 90 minutes of exercise we can sustain. So maximum kind of 90-minute effort and, you know, we have enough glycogen stores, carbohydrate stores, so energy effectively to be able to fuel that 90-minute performance. When we start to step over that, in theory, we need to start to think about taking on board some kind of intra-fueling, some carbohydrates and stuff. What's your view on that? Is that still the case? If somebody comes to you and says, look, I want to run a 90-minute half marathon, do you think would you advise that they start looking at fueling for it or is it just before and refueling after?
0: Yeah, there's probably two sides to that. So the first side is we're using half marathon performance because if we tried to get people to run a marathon and not, um, uh, not have it like an official ratified race, then we, we're not going to get any participants in the study. So half marathon that way kind of, it means that we can have it as almost a training session as well as uh, get information from the study. But the second thing is, I don't think you're going to lose anything by fueling during um, a race like that. I'd recommend for anyone racing 10k upwards to take a gel on the start line anyway Um, but if you're getting to 90 minutes what you want to you want to in that last sort of half an hour block where it's going to get really tough you want to be switched on both mentally and physically um and if you can you know at 45 minutes just pop a gel then you're going to feel better in that that second half you've got more energy there even it's for the brain glycogen for making decisions you know you're going to be in a much better state if you've taken something on so if you can um and most 90 minute half marathon marathon runners will because they've probably got experience with the marathon take it on you're not going to lose anything by doing so what a massive point
1: you've just made there I love that. The brain glycogen, it's being switched on, being able to execute that maximum effort. And that's hard work, isn't it? You know, I'm sure Yeah, yeah. people listening to the show will know when the going gets tough, you know, what do you do then? How do you extract that performance? But actually, if you feel better, as you mentioned, from taking on a little bit of fuel, then it might not necessarily be energy i guess is what you're saying here that's the primary focus for you but just generally feeling better and able to think better and think faster that's a really powerful thing i love that
0: and stay switched on because you know when it gets hard in a race you struggle to rationalize uh, the situation you're in and you kind of it's fight or flight you want to leave it and just stop or you're gonna fight it and if if your brain can be in as better decision making state as possible you should hopefully fight the situation much better than if you were um you know really struggling slowing down losing energy um you know you're more likely to probably pull the plug and slow down
1: you mentioned a gel on the start line of a of a 10k there and and i guess you're talking literally on the start line i.e. not not during the race but you know kind of in the in the closing moments before What's your view on, on gels, Josh? I mean, you must get asked this a lot. I certainly do. And I think people have a strange relationship with gels, don't they? They sort of almost love-hate or, you know, some people swear by them. Some people, no, I, I can't tolerate them. And I think some people think it has to be a gel, but obviously we know they're convenient. What's your view on, on the water of gels?
0: Gels are the easiest way of taking it. Like, the shot blocks are good for sort of ultra-performance, but, you know, to get that quick energy burst, they're not so good. Really, you don't want sweets because, you know, they're going to just hike your... Um, glucose levels rather than you know um give you that sort of prolonged energy, so gels just sort of sit in that happy medium um, of being able to kind of fulfill your needs um but also be you know practical as well um and I think if you struggle with gels, then it's shop around and try different ones. Um, you know, I, I used to use a lot of the SIS and I recommend those but I know people find them gloopy your high five ones are a little bit more watery um, then you've got the goo ones which taste a little bit more like real food but a bit thicker so sometimes people find them a bit like heavy on you i think the best ones at the moment are the morton ones because they actually come out more like a, a sack or like a jelly style um fueling uh, or sort of feeling in your mouth um so you know there's plenty um around there so shop around look around for different ones as to as to what you can get you'll you'll 100% be able to find something that you get on with
1: i've used all the ones that you have mentioned other than goo actually i've not tried those i, I, I use mortons at the moment I, I don't use them all the time for training but you know key sessions and obviously for races and things and and i i I do rate them. I think they're easy to digest and whatnot. And that's there's a bit of science around that in the the kind of way that they're produced. But you, you mentioned shop around, which is a great piece of advice. I also say to people as well, Josh, try, even if you found a brand that you think, right, that works for me. I'm not talking Morton's here because I think, I'm right in saying they still just have like a single flavour or non-flavour, if you like, it's kind yeah. of unflavoured, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But if you, let's say SIS, for example, or any of the other brands out there, and you think, right, that works for me, that's okay, I'm happy with the consistency. You know, if you're doing something long, like, you know, Big Stuff Marathon, actually, even if you find a flavour you really like in a brand, you're probably going to get sick of it. By like your one yeah, yeah. or whatever. So I think mixing yeah. up the flavours as well can be really helpful, because even the greatest Definitely. food in the world, your favourite food, you're going to get sick of it if you just had to keep eating it.
0: And the other side of that is, well, what if that flavor's out of stock when you come to do your race and you've, you're, you've not got any left, and you might not like any of the flavours of, of that brand. So, you know, it's preparing yourself for the worst-case scenario. I can remember I went on a training camp to um, Malta back in sort of 2012, and um, Emma Pallant, who's a you know world-class half-marathon, half-marathon, uh, half Ironman Ironman athlete was on there and she said whenever you go to a race abroad you take your race vest you take your race shorts race socks and your race shoes in your hand luggage because you then know you've got them Um, and I think she was telling us once that Kelly Holmes deliberately hid all of their spikes when they went to a competition just to show them like you know what you're going to do if your your spikes are not there Um, so it's preparing yourself for that worst case scenario that you know that whatever happens you've got the tools to be able to complete what you want to do if you've gone for a 16 week marathon cycle and suddenly you can't find the gels that you want it's just you know that's a it's, you've always wasted your time so prepare yourself for the, for the worst case scenario every time it's
1: just a psychology isn't it i think that's such a key part of training as well and that's really interesting what you say there because it's about being adaptable. You've got to adapt to a situation, and, you know, control the things you can control, but certain things, as you say, you can't, you know, and that might be accessibility to gels or whatever. I was coaching a duathlete, an age-graded duathlete, and um, she had a she was training really well and she was in good shape and she had an event coming up in Spain and everything was great, you know, everything was lined up, she was in good shape, she had all her kit, everything. She woke up on the morning of the race and, and the whole of the transition area had basically been swept away because there was serious, serious storms over there, floods and 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 everything. I mean, you can imagine the race organisers like, oh, my gosh, we've got to reorganise everything and route planning. And, and you know, you could be properly thrown. So while I think that is a freak occurrence, it just goes to show that things can affect you. I mean, we know things like weather anyway on race days are so variable. I think just having that understanding of being okay, I may need to just be a little bit adapt adaptable here and not rely on on everything going my way because it it might not. In terms of like daily energy demands, like calories and things like that, you know, not just around the training here, I guess, Josh. Although I'm talking obviously for runners and athletes and and you know runners and stuff. What what advice do you give? Do you give calculations? Do you advise that people look at calorie counting and work out their kind of energy demands that way do you advise that they vary their daily energy demands depending on what they're doing that day in terms of training session what what sort of advice do you give give to people does it depend on the runner
0: you know it depends on a lot of different things um and most sports scientists will answer every question that you give them well it depends um you know and that's the kind of the stock answer we hate um, that runners
1: hate that we want facts man give us facts
0: yeah <laughs> um, you know unfortunately there, there are facts but that they you know they're few and far between at times so there's a real landmark study for me um and for most sports nutritionists done by louise burke um out in australia and it's called the supernova project so they looked at race walking, elite race walking performance, and these guys were like top dogs, um, you know, breaking national records and stuff in the t- trials that what they were doing, and they put three different interventions into their training plan so they did um something called fuel for the work required which was they periodized the carbohydrate depending on what training they had they had just a pure high carbohydrate diet and then they had a low carb high fat diet as well so you you know the the athletes got assigned to different conditions dependent um, on where they were in the study and what they found was that the best results in the pre to post of this training block were people that periodised their carbohydrate based on what sessions they've got coming up in in those days. Um, the, the, you know, the race performance improved, their VOT max got better across the training block, better economy, all of the sort of key variables you'd look at got better. Um, in the low, uh, same with the high carb, they did really well, but the people with the, the low carb and the high fat they improved some of their physiological variables, but their race performance got worse. So, you know, that just shows you know carb is king. Um, and they're actually in part two of the Supernova study, I think, at the minute. Um, so, yeah, there's there's hopefully some more research coming out about that soon. Um, but yeah, if you look um, if you look online at Google Scholar, fuel for the work required, Louise Burke, you'll be able to find the the study out there. So that kind of forms the basis for a lot of my advice is that you get most athletes get their training plans sort of 10 days in advance or whatever. Look at the sessions you've got. If you've got a 35-minute easy run, really that's not going to be massively carbohydrate taxing. So in the build-up to that session, I would not advise you have too, as much, uh, much fueling, for example, compared to the night before a two-and-a-half-hour long run where you've got four times 20 minutes at marathon pace. Um, so... Th- You need to make sure that you are, you know, um, looking at whatever sessions you've got coming up and then putting your uh, diet in to match that. Um, And that's the best way to do it. Unfortunately, we can't sort of say, you know, you need X amount of grams of carbohydrate because you're going to have some runners who are five foot. You're going to have some runners who are six foot eight. You know, you're going to have some runners who are 50 kilos, some runners who are 120 kilos. So, they obviously demands are going to change. Um, so, using the context of knowing what your body is like and what your height's like, you'll then know how much fueling you need. Um, but it's You know, look at what you've got and make intelligent decisions based on the sessions that you've got coming up. And I'd say that starts sort of 24 hours before the session starts as well. So, you know, a lot of my runners, for example, look at we do Wednesday into night intervals. So I'm saying from Tuesday night you need to start thinking about your carbohydrate loading for your wednesday session because we're going to do that before you have your dinner so tuesday night i'd have a little bit more carb than usual wednesday morning a good carb breakfast and the same at wednesday lunch and then i'm probably asking them to have a snack two hours before training and before they go into the session whereas you know then on the thursday they've got an easy run so wednesday night refuel from the session you've had so you know good carbs good protein um, but then Thursday morning, Thursday lunch, Thursday dinner, you haven't got a hard session the next day, you've had an easy session that day, you don't need to be you know, smashing your carbohydrates out of the park on those days. In terms of long runs, Josh, so let's talk classic Sunday morning
1: long run. I know it varies for, for people, but Sunday morning classic long run. What sort of tips and thoughts have you got on how to fuel that? I guess you've answered some of that in terms of you've got to focus on the day before. And I guess it's even more important for two reasons – if somebody's doing the classic long run on a Sunday morning, first of all, is long. So, you know, you need to factor that into it. And also it's early in the morning as opposed to something like you mentioned with your Wednesday session that's in the evening before dinner, albeit. What considerations would you advise
0: people make and how would they go about kind of, you know, preparing for that? Again, I'd be looking at what what session have you got on on the plan. So um, you know, if we take, for example, the session you were talking with about Joe the other day with your six minute marathon pace efforts if if I knew I had that coming up or had that for an effort, I would recommend having breakfast beforehand and probably taking a gel out with you um, but not going to the full extent of. Um, as many gels as you'd have in a marathon, because what we can do in training is we can manipulate certain factors in order to adapt you better to using your carbohydrate stores um, and kind of restrict, I guess, a little bit. Um, and then when you get into the race and you really fuel yourself up and give yourself that kind of uh, the, the more carbohydrate in the race, your body's going to respond really, really well to that. So that's where the, the kind of low carb, high fat diets come in and people go, oh, well, if I have no carb, then I'll do even better. And it's sort of, well, no, actually, because after about two weeks of having no carbs, your overall tolerance to being able to have glycogen, your body reduces. So we need to have enough in order to be able to still keep that system working properly. But not feed it over too much in that you know we're gonna then start over carbohydrate and then not get the benefits in our races. That's a great point because I think there's a lot of people that do think like this. Um and in case you're
1: wondering by the way, you're listening to this show, the the the, the chat that you mentioned with Joe there was when I was talking about on, on an Instagram live was a long marathon based session where it was a, I think it's about one hour fifty five is a long run, one hour fifty, something like that, and it was basically dropping in little bits of marathon pace and what you're saying is you kind of need to fuel it with that in mind, but maybe not fuel it like you would on on the day of the marathon but people sometimes have this thought don't they josh about footwear do you hear this like if i run if i do my training in kind of heavy you know not so fast footwear then when i put my speedy racing shoes on you know i'm gonna fly i'm gonna feel great i'm gonna feel light and i guess there's some truth in that but listening to what you're saying the difference there between applying the same kind of thinking with fueling compared to that of footwear is if you're wearing a heavy pair of shoes you can still work at the same intensity your paces might be slow but you can still work whereas what you're saying with fueling if you kind of underfuel too much too often then you lose the effectiveness of using the carbohydrates when you actually need them so come race day or more important sessions is that i've got that right
0: yeah that's true yeah and if you if you underfuel carbohydrate what your body will do is if you run at a high enough intensity, the body will not use fat. as It doesn't like using fat as a um, fuel source. So you will tend to then use um, uh, glycogen or muscle glycogen. Once those stores have run out, your body will then convert the muscle that you have in your body to become carbohydrate. It will break it down, make it into carbohydrate in order to burn in the body. So we're going out to do a long run session in order to manipulate your muscles and you know, improve them, get them better, get them stronger. But what we're actually doing is breaking them down and making them smaller, which, you know, said like that, sounds like the most pointless process going. But you know, that's why the key thing comes in is that you have to fuel your performance and your training in order to make sure that you're, you know, you're going to get the most out of your races.
1: I do hear from a lot of people that if they've had a decent breakfast in the morning and let's say they've gone... 2 hours or so so a nice window between digesting it or finishing the food roller to being able to digest it then running that sounds logical to me let's say they're going out for a 2 hour run and they don't take anything during the run i'm sure they can get through the run for 2 hours but actually that's 4 hours effectively since they last ate something do you give people some guidance on that what's your thoughts do you think it's better to have a little something either before the run or during the run or both?
0: I kind of leave it up to them. If we were in a cycling context, it would be so much easier because you can take fuel on really easily whilst you're out on the bike. You can carry it easily and you don't have that jarring effect of up and down motion on the stomach, which is what causes a lot of the kind of nuances and differences in your um, in running nutrition compared to cycling nutrition compared to, um, you know, uh, uh, other endurance sports. So I, I would kind of leave it down to the athlete. You've got to find your way and find what works for you. But have in mind the principles of, okay, if you know that you can't take or struggle to take stuff on during your long runs, first of all, I would start to try and train myself to get a little bit better at it for race day. But then I know afterwards, I need to have a recovery drink there waiting for me at the finish line that's got a good amount of carbohydrate in as well as the protein in order to refuel what I've burnt going off in that um, Sunday long run and then keep that in mind for the rest of the new day's nutrition in order to, for me to be able to go out on Monday morning or whenever you're going to run on Monday and keep the next week looking the same as the week before. Your nutrition is your glue that is going to keep you in one piece going through every single session and um, the better you can make your nutrition the less time you're going to have probably spent injured, the less time you're going to have having bad sessions because your body is ready to go for the, for the next run.
1: Yeah, so I I guess it makes sense to have some regularity, kind of like a a pattern, record what you've done, because, you know, like you're saying, it's good for the athlete to find their own way, because not all gels work for an individual. You've got to experiment and test and view everything as a test, is what I advise. Don't try and ace everything you ever do, be that nutrition be that racing, be that training, anything in life for that matter, learn from it and move forward. But if you've got some consistency, you can make changes, surely. You know, if a day is, I mean, I used to be a personal trainer, Josh, and, and when I used to talk nutrition, I wasn't a nutritionist, but when I used to talk diet and nutrition and fueling and stuff with 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 people, I'd oft- often ask them what a, an average day was, typical day. And some people would be able to tell me, some people wouldn't. And if you haven't got a typical day, and it doesn't mean the same thing all the time, of course you can't make adjustments because one day is so varied from from the next do you think it's worth trying to keep some some sort of consistency so you can identify
0: patterns i would plan my um you know my meals my nutrition the same way that i would plan my runs so you know a lot of athletes these days use training peaks and you can put notes on your training peaks so if if we take for example a five-day running week where you're going to do tuesday wednesday thursday wednesday's intervals a saturday tempo session sunday long run i would make a note on my training peaks as to okay this needs to be a high carb day this needs to be a low carb day so i know a high carb meal is spaghetti bolognese so i'm gonna have that the night before my session and i would go through those processes of planning what i'm gonna eat around the training sessions in order to get the most out of them and you can you can have fun with it you know you can you can have, you know, nice foods that are, you know, interesting and tasty. It, it doesn't have to be, you know, fish and a rice cake every single day. Um, it, you know, you can plan nice meals, but it's just about being aware of what's the content of my meal, what's the content of my training, how can I marry the two concepts up together so I can get the most out of it. Yeah, and it's got to
1: start with... with- how much fuel do you need before you start planning what the meal consists of? Spaghetti bolognese in your case sounds awesome, by the way. Um, you've got to think about okay, what, what are the demands of this session? Have you got any hard kind of facts, rules in terms of carbohydrates per body weight, or how much uh, carbohydrate people should be having? This this is there's some variation in this, from my understanding.
0: So it could be anywhere bef- between three to ten grams per kilo of body mass per day. Wow. So you know that is as as clear as mud, really. Um, if I was looking at sort of, for, for most uh, endurance runners, would probably sit around the sort of five grams per kilo body mass mark on hard training days. Um, you know, if a, for a real big long run day, um, I, you might push seven, maybe eight. Um, if there's any triathletes listening, seven's probably your minimum, up to 10, depending, because you're going to be doing a lot of double session days. For people who are, kind of more closer to the sort of lower end of the spectrum doing less miles might be slightly lower um so again it's sort of you know the guidelines are between three and ten and work out how much training you're doing and how how long you're training for so you know how many hours a week um what's that like versus the government guidelines of 30 minutes times five um a week um and you know then you can make some more kind of sensible and informed decisions from there yeah, I guess it's
1: experimenting, isn't it? And I'm thinking as you as you talk here, Josh, and three to ten grams. So to recap, that's three to ten grams of carbohydrate per kilo of body weight. Which is a big variation, isn't it? That's a big window, three to ten to ten grams. So we've got to experiment a little bit. Obviously, the upper end is for serious, serious endurance runners that are probably doing intense four, five-hour plus runs. You know, I imagine, or triathletes.
0: That would probably be for more like, um, you know, for example, like a Mo Farah going out and doing a double training session day. He would be up towards that that spectrum um, for you know someone like you or myself who's doing a a reasonable amount of running we're probably more more around the five grand mark most days um you know for someone maybe that's sort of just coming back from injury and only sort of doing 20 to 30 minute easy runs each day they're probably down towards the three this is good
1: this is really helpful actually josh and i think uh, people listening to this are going to get a lot from this, They're perhaps a little bit confused about carbohydrate and, and where to start with it. I th- because it is a, it is having a starting point, isn't it? And, and I think, and I say to people, find a starting point, say, right, that's what I'm going to experiment with, and then monitor how you feel, monitor the performance of the sessions, get your coach to monitor the performance of the sessions. If you're working with a coach, look at the number on the scales, you know, periodically weigh yourself and, and what, what's happening, how are you feeling? And, and you should be able to build a picture from there in terms of, you know, if you're putting on weight, then maybe you need to address some things. If actually you feel like you're not f- fueled as well, and we know what that feels like, your performance is suffering, then you probably need to step things up. Is it worth starting as a are kind of trying to average it across the week or is it you know in terms of carbohydrate rush you know somebody that's totally new to this and thinking i don't even track anything this is going to blow my mind is it worth just saying right i'm gonna i'm gonna go for let's just say uh four grams per kilo of carbohydrate per day i'm going to average that across the week see how i feel once i've got somewhere near is it then worth breaking it down into say rest days a normal kind of easy run day and then like a high intensity or long run day?
0: I would I would probably still go on the lines of fueling what you've got, training you've got coming up. And it's as simple as taking spaghetti bolognese. If you know you've got a hot, a, a longer session or a bit of a faster session coming up, have a bit more pasta. If you know that you're not really doing that much day, take a bit of pasta out. You know, that it's as simple as that. You, a lot of people get bogged down into the, you know, we need the exact numbers because runners love data. They need the exact number of what they've got to have, and it's not quite as linear as that. You know, we, we don't actually, unless we're going to put an isometric, you know, tracker through your um, body, which is going to cost £10,000 per person, we actually don't know. So it's, you know, it's, you don't need to get as nailed down with the numbers. It's more about sort of, you know, knowing where your carbohydrates coming from in your meal, and if you're training more, have a bit more train a bit less have a bit less it kind of it boils down to be as simple as that but I think the big thing is that most people see on Instagram you know carbs make you fat well no they don't you know what, where that comes from is that carbohydrate if you over consume carbohydrate gets stored as adipose tissue or fat because it's easier to store fat in the body than it is to store carbohydrate you can only a, a gen, generally a male can only store around two thousand calories of carbohydrate in their body at any one time so if you're going to over consume on carbs it will get made into sort of fat tissue and that's where that comes from But you won't get fat from having carbs if you're training and if you're an endurance runner. It's pretty much impossible for that to happen.
1: So really what you're saying here is keep things relatively simple in terms of making those small adjustments. And I'm I'm picking up on a word that you mentioned earlier, which I love to use in training, which is intelligence and and training intelligently. You know, I'm doing a big session tomorrow. It's early in the morning. Therefore, I think I'm going to need a little bit more this evening. I guess it's important to keep things very real, to coin a phrase here, Josh, because... Sometimes I think people's uh, maybe awareness or um, understanding of fueling can be a little bit skewed. And what I mean by that is people running super short distances and, and doing super easy sessions, which is absolutely fine, by the way, but feeling that they need to be drinking you know the sports drinks or the the whatever you know loading. You must hear this. You're smiling now, as I see. So and I, and I think it can go the other way as well, where at the other end of the spectrum, runners are perhaps really focused on performance, very focused on racing weight, training weight. They want to be fast. They want to be light. And actually, they don't want to risk fueling too much, so that actually they risk putting that that weight on. What do you say to to kind of people that have that those that that kind of way of thinking?
0: I think you've got to work out, you know, what's what's going on with your racing and training. If you are you know that, you know, a weight's really good for you for your for race weight, but you're breaking down with quite a lot of illnesses, you're breaking down with injuries, I would suggest, well, maybe actually that's not the weight for you. You might have run well off that once or twice, but if you look at your career, the next sort of two years, five years, ten years, how are you going to keep progressing if you keep breaking down? You're not. So, you know, I would... Um, in in that instance start to look at changing things um, if it's working well for you then you know I, I again I would say you know keep going on what you're doing nutrition isn't an exact science but we have to apply it into the real world which isn't exact science so you know it's, it's you've got to again as I said before make intelligent decisions and find your way um, and if you know you do get a lot of breakdowns in your training and struggle with the consistency, nutrition would be the first place I'd look to make those gains in order to keep the consistency there
1: top stuff it's absolutely designed and part of training it's not just something you do when you're hungry you've got a few of those sessions you want to get the most out of things if you've got ambitious targets this year 2021 as we get back racing are you doing much running yourself josh what's going on in your your own training do you find it easy to spin the plates you know get the balance right between giving so much of yourself in the in the world of coaching obviously a busy guy and your own running where are you with things
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I had a, a fantastic time of running. I, I, I hasten to call it a career. You know, I, I loved everything. I had some excellent coaches. I was training some amazing groups and stuff all the way from my young days at City of York uh, with Ian Wilcox's group and then training Randy Henderson's group and George Gandhi a little bit. But I've kind of sort of, I guess whole time of my running career personally and uh, just running for fun now so you know if my one of my athletes i'm going out to, to see him today actually you know i'll go and do his warm-up with him uh, i'll go and do my long runs with with my guys as well um so yeah i've kind of taken a little bit of a back step in order to be able to facilitate helping others more often um because there's no way you can try and kind of uh keep going on sort of 60 miles a week and I, I coach four nights a week so you know I can't do tr- all the training I want myself and race myself while still being invested in others so you know my brain just can't take that I'm, I'm very much I have to sort of switch on to each area and i um, always think about things so yeah caught a bit of time on my running career um, and, and instead I've, uh, I've taken up cricket which is a oh, wow. little bit different um so yeah, nets tonight with the, the boys from Lombokby. Um so yeah, having instead of instead of pounding the five thousand metre, ten thousand metre cross country, I'm now bowling. Bowling, you know, a couple of overs from the station end instead. Good man. Well you're clearly looking after yourself, you look well, obviously
1: we've got you on Zoom here. Who who's the guy that you're running with today? Give him a shout out, who are you running with?
0: Uh Lewis Knight. Yeah, really Lewis has got a great story. Took up running two years ago to do his uh, local village ten K and he's now Runs 34 minutes flat for the 10k and 75 minutes flat for the half. That's so, amazing. Yeah. And what's Lewis great, doing today? What's guy. his session? Three sets of three minutes, two minutes, one minute at 5k effort, all off like a 90-second jog recovery.
1: Lewis, this sounds like a tough session, man. So you want to get yourself some spaghetti bolognese down your neck. you got to listen to Coach Josh <laughs> here. Uh, probably about 80 grams of, of spaghetti, I think, is probably about right for you today. <laughs> but I'm sure you'll have a cracking session. Listen, Josh, thank you so much for chatting to us today on the with Jake podcast. You know I'm not going to let you go at this moment, don't you? You know everybody starts to know, our guest now, what is coming. I have one more question for you. Do you have time? I know you're a busy guy.
0: I was really hoping I was going to, like, elongate this conversation out and that you were going to be too busy to (laughs) ask me the the motivation question. The
1: killer question. We're never too busy to ask you this question. Josh. (coughs)
0: Josh Schofield
1: from PGC1 Coaching. This is your weekly dose of running motivation. What does the
0: word motivation mean to you for me i think it's the core purpose of what makes you decide to um to do things in order to kind of help you progress in it's that reason in the back of your head when things get tough what is the uh you know what is your why and why are you doing this you know, and I think that for me is what motivation is. Josh, you're a top guy. Great to talk to you. Have a good run with Lewis today. It's been a pleasure being on here, and uh, I'm sure we'll speak again soon.
2: Running with Jake, the podcast, your weekly dose of running motivation, out every Wednesday. Never miss an episode by subscribing now.
1: Did you just say, oh, balls?
2: Yeah, I did, yeah. No, I said, old oh, balls. What's wrong? I've, I've been playing with them. She's just. Just been playing. (laughs) I've just been playing with um, a USB drive and uh, broken it. Look, no, no. I think I fixed it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, I fixed it. It's all right. Look, it's really cool. It's like I love anything that's magnetic. So look, see that. It's it's that standard, yeah. So you've got the USB drive there, and you've got the top that goes on it there. But listen, it's magnetic. Draws in. Listen,
1: I can see you on Zoom, and I don't care. How do you think our audience feel that cannot see you? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Look, you've got 30 (laughs) seconds. Do a bit of begging. I I don't think you did it last week. You're probably feeling a little bit left out, a little bit miffed, a little bit thrown. Patreon Pete,
2: smash Mm. it. 30 seconds, go. It's not begging. It's not begging. All it is is we're just asking for the upkeep of this podcast. The, the podcast, believe it or not, this, this, this complete rubbish you're listening to actually costs us money. So it's really nice if, if people listen to it, want to put their hand into their pocket and help out with the, with the running of it. It's really nice. It's really great. And, you know, um, we did have a conversation the other day about something really special and really nice that we're going to do for the Patreons. Uh, We don't know what it is yet. I can (laughs) tell you about that in the future. I'm not sure. You'll get something extra. If you give, if you do give us money, but I don't know what it is. It will be of some ver- worth and value, or it may be just complete rubbish. We're not sure. Um, but if you do want to become a Patreon, uh, then we'll love you forever. Uh, you'll help us buy um, a replacement USB drive, which will be nice, um, and you'll pay for the up- upkeep of the podcast. <laughs> I find it, ri- I find it shocking that we pay for this, by the way, because what would be, what even is it? If you want to become a Patreon, um, then all you got to do is search the Patreon website for running with Jake or, easier than that, runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. There's a big old Patreon logo at the top of the page there. That's it. Become a patron of the show and we'll, we'll really look after you. We'll give you special treatment. We'll send you all a magnetic USB stick. You'll love it. Seriously, I can't can, no, know. If you want to become a patron of the show, I can send you a, a USB stick. Unfortunately, it's not magnetic. And right now, it's time for hashtag Ask Jake. And Seb sent a message in. He
1: wants to know how much he should taper for an upcoming half marathon that he has. It depends on your aspirations, really, Seb. So to give you an idea, if you really want to race a half marathon, i.e. you want to give it everything that you've got, do as well as you can on the day, then it's definitely worth reducing your training volume and intensity, so tapering, as you say. And I would say some somewhere in the region of 10 days is a good time frame to work off. For some, it might be slightly less. For some, it might be slightly longer. And it does depend, obviously, as I mentioned, on how hard you want to push. If you are not looking at training, uh, racing really hard in this event, so if it's more of a training event rather than a a main event as it were, I would suggest that you don't need to taper, certainly not as uh, aggressively, and it may be worth doing like a mini taper, or a or just having three easy days before the race and three easy days afterwards so before and after the event you have three days either side that's just either easy running pure easy running or rest and that should be enough just to enable you to feel a little bit better on the day but it's not a full-on taper like it would be if it was a main event i hope that helps good luck enjoy it finish injury free of course if you've got a question it's hashtag ask jake or drop us an email at podcast at so this uh this is it this is officially the end of the show this fantastic show this episode of running with jake the podcast you've been listening to your weekly dose of running motivation we've said hello to all of you at the start i did that bit if you remember i said hello we did that we did that didn't we we did
2: that. We did that, yeah, yeah. yeah. You did finally say hello, yeah. Now, now, all you got to do now in this bit is rather than overthink it, is just say goodbye. That's it. It's, it's easy. It's <laughs> dead easy. That's it. We're done. Goodbye. We're out of here. Yeah.
1: Laters. I can't just say goodbye. I can't smoke. I get it from my grandma. My grandma doesn't say
2: goodbye. She says goodbye and then she carries on talking for 15 minutes. Whenever you stop saying, don't forget the thing about the one last thing as well. Do I? the one last oh, thing Oh, and one more thing
1: to achieve an ambitious goal requires two things a great plan and not quite enough time